Come on. Is it worth it? Let me work it. Put my thing down, flip it, and reverse it. Is your firm if it's win yet, though? Is your firm if it's win yet, though? If you got a big, Brrr! let me search ya. To find out hard, I gotta work ya. Is your firm if it's win yet, though? Is your firm if it's win yet, though? I'd like to get to know ya so I can show ya. Put the pussy on ya, like I told ya. Give me all your numbers so I can phone ya. Your girl I can stank, then call me over. Not on the bed, lay me on your sofa. Call me before you come, I need to shave my chocha. Chocha. Thanks for listening to Middle Aged and Mediocre. I'm Cash. I'm Joel. And uh, we are a podcast about all things strange and unusual, death, UFOs, and other creepy, Cults, weird, random ghosts. There you go. Yeah. Not uh, just naming things in the room. Oh my god. There's a cult of ghosts. Joe, are we are we rappers? I'm a rapper. I think we've kind of yeah. got this whole hip hop rap you, thing down. Do you feel the music in your heart? Uh, I mean, I feel like there's an elephant inside me, oh. and yet I don't know how to do the noise. <laughs> that sounds like a rooster. That like I had how the rooster or something. I put it out there. That <laughs> I can't do it either. That. Imitating an elephant is the <laughs> hardest animal to. Uh huh. That was pretty good. I'm getting there. It took a lot of work. I don't think that you could have squeezed that in with no. the lyrics flowing, <laughs> with that hot lava getting spit. Uh, yeah. Uh, last night would have been a fun time to have like a camera on me. <laughs> Between me trying to figure out. Oh, how there's one on you. I'll go home and check it. I haven't looked at the footage yet. You might want to release it. <laughs> okay. Because between trying to figure out how to reverse, do the reverse lyrics <laughs> thing and then make the elephant noise. Yeah. I was just in here last night just being like, burr, burr, burr. <laughs> No, that's not it. That's not it. Yeah, I was making all kinds of noises. I thought that was a foreign language at first. Because I was trying to find like a good uh, uh, female artist song, you know, and I was like looking at like real classic. Yeah. You know, like little, little, uh, what's that? What's the little one called? Um, <laughs> but I ended up on Missy Elliott. Little Kim. Little, little Kim. Little I think Kim. I looked at some Little Kim song. <laughs> who's, who's the other little one? Uh, the Brat. Oh. <laughs> I know hip hop. I was really going to say the little one. Like, uh. <laughs> she's just a little one, but she's called The Brat. So you mean like in stature? She's small. I think she is, yeah. Well, I mean, she's The Brat, yeah. so she's probably a little tiny person. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, work it was fun. I do hate that song. Because <laughs> yeah. That was fun. Uh, yeah, I think we've nailed this. I mean, I when we first started doing this, I was like, two white guys <laughs> doing hip-hop rap? No yeah. way is this going to work. And now the more I've heard us, uh, we're kind of great at this. Yeah. So Naturals. putting out that album soon that no one's going <laughs> Nope, we will. <laughs> but uh, this got, is... you gotta, you got to come up with your rap name. I'm Flip Switches. Yeah, you have a really good one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like Casket Jack. That's a good one. I like Casket Jack would yeah. work. It's your Twitter handle. Uh-huh. I almost wanted to change it, but then I was like, hey, Casket Jack, that just got a good... That's and a there's, good like, a bunch of random people now on. Like, it's always funny when people, uh, guys I do business with for cards, and they'll be like, you know, hey, thanks, man. Thanks, Casket Jack. <laughs> it's such a weird thing to be called, but I gotta like it. All right. Uh, Jack and Flip. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this has been Wager Mediocre. We're back with another episode. Hi. Uh, what's been going on? I know you have got a big show coming up tonight. I do? You do. Tonight? Tonight. Where? The Smoot Fuck. Theater. That's today? That's, <laughs> that's what you told me. It starts in 10 minutes? <laughs> You've uh, got it. Uh, as, as we see here now, uh, I need to be there in four and a half hours. Yeah, that's uh, plenty of time. Plenty of time. To tell your, to your friends. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I get the host, and I'm pretty excited. I bought a new shirt from the Salvation Army. You know, balling on a budget. Yeah, well, <laughs> I have heard that you, sir, are quite wealthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd like that. 
you know, I, I pay bills right before they're going to be turned off. I'm, you know, I get that notice. We're like, hey, pay this bill. It's going to be turned off. I'm like, I'm going to pay it. Yeah, I did My not. internet gets paid, turned off, but they don't charge me to turn it back on. You just pay what you owe, and they'll turn it back on for you. That's nice of them. Yeah, it is. I don't think the. I mean, I think it's kind of bullshit that they expect you to pay them money. <laughs> like, I just want this service. Give yeah, it to me. it's floating you around. You know I'm Joel There's Gant. so much internet just floating around. I'm like the a, Joel Gant. <laughs> I'm the Joel Gant. One of the wealthiest entrepreneurs <laughs> in Parkersburg. Yep. Ask about me in the streets. <laughs> yeah. They'll tell you. They'll tell oh, yeah. Joel Gant lives in a mansion. I know him. Better than everybody? Yeah, I heard him. Uh. I pay my bills like three years in advance. That's just dumb. <laughs> and I pay double what they're what they are. I'm like, here's just double. I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand money. Yeah. Well, you, just, you don't need to understand it because no. you got so much of it. I'm stupid rich. Yeah. yeah. Stupid rich. What's money to you? What Nothing. is it? Are you listening? <laughs> so yeah, I uh, uh, lot going on, <laughs> lot going on out in the world. I need a silly dumb episode because uh, I've spent most of the past month just being mad about everything again yeah. uh you know what with like an all-out war on like trans rights and uh just humans being able to live as they want yeah. uh, apparently i have to now defend tiktok all day <laughs> because they're trying to ban it for stupid ass reasons they'll, they're spying on you that is not they're spying on people it's not it at all <laughs> it's because mark zuckerberg mark zuckerberg paid a company to lobby congress to get it banned because TikTok's doing way the fuck better than it in every, one, every way imaginable and taking all kinds of ad revenue from oh, it. Oh, man. Mark Zuckerberg probably he needs some more money. Yeah. Right? It's such bullshit. He's struggling. He's struggling. Uh, so here I am now. I'm like, you know what I never wanted to have to do? Be on TikTok side. Yeah. Here I am. You're in your TikTok, TikTok soapbox. I hardly ever even use it. I, I can't download it. I need a new phone first. I will say, though, like from the time I used to use it there for a little while. And it was pretty shitty. Uh, you know, it was just like, just the worst videos ever. Just annoying people. Uh-huh. And I didn't use it for a long time. And then we thought maybe we'll start using it for the podcast. So I downloaded it again. And it has changed so much. Like, it, uh, they have started encouraging, like, longer form videos with, like, better information. Yeah. Uh, it's where people are starting to go to get news. It's like people are, like, are communicating through it. Like, you know, it connects everybody. And that pisses Facebook off. It pisses off a lot of people because yeah. that's just... You know, uh, there's a lot of interests out there to try to stop that. But so, yeah, now I'm like, oh, great. I'm on TikTok. So. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I've just been basically sitting around being mad at the world lately. So, fun. Yeah. Fun. I've been really happy with the world. <laughs> Good for you. I ran today. I told you I was you ran today me. outside. It was nice. It was windy, but it was really nice. And three different people from their porch cheered me on while I was running. Which is. I, I, didn't, I didn't know how to react. I was like, are you fucking with me? Like, so, you see, like, a chubby guy running, so you're just fucking with me right now? It is now? strange, right? Like, a little bit, but I, I took it. I was like, thanks, man. Thank you, universe. Is it, like, real, like... Oh, yeah. The one girl was like, work it, work it, work it, work it. And then one was my uncle, so he just weighs at me no matter what okay. I'm doing. He loves me. I'm a good boy. He knows it. And the other one was, like, uh, some dude on a porch. He yelled something, so I had to stop, take my earbuds out, and I said, excuse me? And he goes, keep up the good work. I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> Turned and kept running. Because like, it was like right after I spit some water out, and I was like, this motherfucker is going to say something about me spitting water out. But he was trying to encourage me. They are just judging people <laughs> and looking down on others. Yep. But yeah, <laughs> see, I'm pretty happy with the world. Well, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're getting encouragement uh, <laughs> from the neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that's weird, though. Which <laughs> <laughs> is like, what? what are you guys doing? Like, why? <laughs> The, the first one definitely threw me off. The girl's like, work it, work it, work it, work it. Because you do feel like it's almost, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Pan- like, pander. Pa- they're kind of like, like. Patronizing. Patronizing. Yeah. There you go. They're like, oh, look at you. Yeah. Good I job. mean, I had my 24-pound vest on, so I wasn't moving fast. <laughs> they had plenty of time to cheer. <laughs> well, you should have. slow. Every one of them, you should have stopped and be like, if you like this, come see me tonight. Yeah, it's a, a smooth, smooth theater. theater. Uh, Got a new shirt from the Salvation Army. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> it's going to be a good show. Yeah. But yeah, you're there tonight with uh, Kevin Farley. I wonder if I go out to eat in a Salvation Army shirt, do I get a military discount? That's not how that works at okay. all. Okay. You can try it. You can ask for one, and then when they ask you, 
to leave. Show like show proof. You can just be like, this shirt. <laughs> Look at the tag. Here's it's the got, receipt. It's got the yellow tag. Yellow tag means $3. <laughs> Here's the receipt. Red man. tag means a dollar. Everybody knows that. Come on. Uh, well, you know, good luck tonight. Uh, I'm sure we'll cover it next week. Also next week. Uh, Actually, we won't. We're going to, uh, Cincinnati. Yes, we're not. That's what I was going to say. We're not going to cover it next week. Uh, unless we just, I don't don't know. We probably won't. we can record on the drive up. Uh. back. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah. But if we're not, if we don't have an episode next week, it's because we are going out of town. Uh, we're going to go watch the Pirates play the Reds in Cincinnati. Uh, which is, I think, is it Saturday opening day? Maybe. I think Saturday's opening day. <coughs> oh, wow. So it's going to be... Banana. It's going to be pretty packed, I think, yeah. which I did not plan for. <laughs> uh, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but yeah, we're going to be taking a trip up to Cincinnati. Uh, so we we'll probably won't have a new episode next week. We'll see. But you can always you know, go back and listen to our other episodes. Um, but we are also going to be introducing some new things to the show. Uh, we're going to try to steer away... A little bit from uh, talking about like current true crime stuff and like try to get out of that, uh, just because like I, I feel gross. I, we do this all the time. Yeah, like, I, I always <laughs> I never feel right about it, but then like I give in. But I don't want to this time. Where I'm I mean, like, there's some true crime robberies, you know. We'll like still swindling. be doing crime stuff, and yeah. like there will be people getting killed. Yeah, but like I don't want to do episodes where we're like. Man, you talked about the girl getting a piggyback ride to get murdered. Yeah. Like, ugh. Yeah. I stuck with me for a couple days. So I'm thinking we probably <laughs> avoid that. Lean more into uh, dumb, silly things as much as possible. I get it. No. <laughs> uh, that's my bread and butter. Yeah. Dumb and silly. And our name doesn't make any damn sense <laughs> if we're going to be talking about... You're having like an exi- ex- what's it, what's it, existential what's it? crisis. Yeah, that's what my you're doing. My entire life is an existential <laughs> crisis, Joel. You were born, you were just like, why? It's 24-7 of me doing this kind of stuff. <laughs> Uh, that is my brain, just like just yelling. Why? <laughs> why? Why? I don't know, brain. Just because that's what's happening. Part of your brain's like, why not? Like, why do why not? Why? 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 Leave why? me alone. Oh yeah. Uh, but one of the new things we're going to be doing <laughs> is a uh, brand new little segment called Middle Aged and Mediocre Theater. Ooh. And now, Cash and Joel. Argue about pants. Cash and Joel were arguing about a strange topic. Wearing pants. Cash firmly believed that pants were the most important part of any outfit, while Joel thought they were just unnecessary. I can't believe you're going out like that. You're not even wearing pants. So? There's nothing wrong with showing off a little leg. But it's cold outside. You're going to freeze, man. I'll be fine. Besides, pants are so uncomfortable. I don't see why anyone would want to wear them. Uncomfortable? Have you even tried on a good pair of pants? Yeah, and they feel like a straight jacket for your legs. No thanks. Well, I think you're crazy. Pants are essential to any outfit. They complete the look and keep you warm. Mm-mm, I disagree. I'm all about comfort over style. Plus, with global warming, it's only going to get hotter. Who needs pants? You're not thinking long-term, man. What if we have another ice age, huh? You'll be sorry you didn't invest in a good pair of pants. I'll take my chances. I think I'll stick to shorts. Suit yourself. But mark my words, someday you'll realize the error of your ways. With that, the two friends went their separate ways. One proudly sporting a pair of shorts, and the other snug in a pair of pants. This has been... Cash and Joel arguing about pants. So do you think I convinced you to wear pants? No. Fuck. I took my shorts off. <laughs> you did? Right, yeah, I was the opposite direction. I lost that argument big time. Uh, oh, so I lost. <laughs> my brain, we just talked about our brains, and mine just went, fuck you. <laughs> You're like, just reset or something. All right, so... Uh, we're going to get into uh, a story that uh, if you were, you know, kind of growing up in the 80s, if you were, if you had a, if you had like a brain that was aware of things in the 80s, you probably uh, heard about uh, back when somebody uh, fooled around with some, with some medication. Yeah. So uh, we're going to go back a little bit. Uh, born in Memphis 
in 1946. Elvis? Uh, he probably was born earlier than that. All right. uh, life started rough for James Wilson. He was the only son of migrant workers Theodore and Opal Wilson. Opal, that's a hell of a name. Opal needs to make a comeback. I don't, yeah, I don't. I don't think I know any Opals. I've never met an Opal in my life. I think an Opal. Let's have a baby together. Okay. We'll name her well, You Opal. had me at let's have a baby together. All right. I don't need any more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're ready here first. We're going to rare a child. We're going to raise a child. <laughs> we're going to rare a child. You don't hear that very often anymore either. Opal. We're going to rare Opal. There's a. We were watching the movie and the lady was talking about how she fell pregnant. And I've never heard that before. Oh, she fell pregnant? Fell pregnant. It was like oh, a British pregnant. record. Or a British movie, yeah. <laughs> British. I was listening to my British records. We were just talking about records and movies, too. <laughs> Bless your brain. We talk about so much when the mics are off. We got ourselves all <laughs> jumbled up now. All right. So, uh, he's born in 46. In 1948, uh, the family lingered in Waco, Texas, uh, and Theodore, uh, you know, his dad just left town. He yeah. he was like, no longer am I going to be around an Opal. Yeah. He got uh, his brother Simon and Alvin, and they were fucking out of there. <laughs> they were out of there. <laughs> do, 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 do. And then Dave's just sitting around in Waco, like, guess I'll start a cult. Yep, crying. Uh, a few months later, uh, a few months later, Opal leave, leaves uh Whoa, James. Dave is the... The, the human and Alvin and Chipmunk, yes. huh? And it's David Koresh. <laughs> Dave Kr- Fuck, dude! You <laughs> got peanut butter in my chocolate! Uh, <laughs> which today is actually the 30th anniversary of Waco, I is believe. Trump there or something? Yeah. <laughs> you know, course. because Let's celebrate. I'm sure that's not for any reason. <laughs> I, I thought he was supposed to be getting arrested or something. Uh, they're working on it. Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't see it happening either. Uh, it, He's so rich. Him putting out that, him putting out there that he was going to be arrested on Tuesday. Yeah. Like, I fucking hate the guy so, so, so much. You do? But Jesus Christ, does he know how to play people. Oh, yeah. Like, as soon as I saw him Master put out, manipulator. they'll be arresting a for You know, I'm like, they're not arresting that motherfucker. <laughs> this is to rile everyone up. And yeah. get everybody talking about it. And yeah. then whenever finally it fails, once again, they fail to do anything about Trump. And he's going to be like, see, told you. I'm the best. I'm the I'm best. Huge. Nobody, it's just constant conspiracies against me. <laughs> I don't know why they would try. Like, I I would hope if they are doing this, they, they seriously have enough to indict him. Because if not, it's going to be another thing that it made it. It's going to make it look like it's just a constant conspiracy to get yeah. Trump. So, and if that's the case, and if they don't have their, all their shit lined up... It just makes him stronger yeah. afterwards. And it's going to be another embarrassment. Uh, so, Sweet! Okay. So, yeah. So, his dad leaves in 1948. Uh, then a few months later, his mom leaves. Uh, uh, <laughs> He's like, hey, I'm, I'm seven. <laughs> Y'all just leaving me? Yeah. Damn. So, she leaves him and uh, his two sisters. They're aged seven and nine. Uh, she left them just to fend for themselves in a motel outside Joplin, Missouri. Uh... After a few days, social they workers. Were like, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> yeah, this is good. This cool. is we feel wanted. We're in a hotel. They got like a, a vending machine. Not even a hotel, a motel. A motel. Yeah, a transient motel. Oh wow. So you know, just great place for <laughs> for a seven year old, a nine year old, and a toddler. Yeah, hell a yeah. Two year old at this point. Party. Uh, so after a few days, social workers discovered uh, the group and they split up the siblings because that's always great. Yeah, you always want to go and split up the sisters and brothers and. <laughs> That'll be great for him. So Joplin's Big Brothers agency took charge of little Theodore uh, and granted custody of... So Theodore was... uh, I honestly don't know why his name is Little Theodore. In some place, like, I don't know if that was his middle name, but he's James. But then I guess maybe James Theodore Wilson. Yeah. So... uh, JT! The agency took him and... uh, Granted custody to Floyd and Charlotte Lewis. They were a childless couple from nearby Cave Junction. And that they could be re- us. Of what? That could be us one day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, they renamed him James William Lewis, which I, I don't know. You could just, like, Why would you just rename it's him? It's not a cat. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's going to say it's a person. 
Like, he, he like had, my cat, when I got my cat, his name was Optimus Prime. Okay. That's the worst fucking name for I love Transformers. Yeah. But I'm not going to be like, here, Optimus Prime. <laughs> yeah, like, just, like, I name him Lou. Like, that's a little better, I think. Way he's better. a Lou. Yeah. Way better than Optimus Prime. But he's Prime. not a person. <laughs> I wouldn't have done. <laughs> uh, All right, your name's Opal now, little girl. Get used to it. So, they named, uh, they would call him Jim. He grew up near a chemical plant that manufactured explosives. Lucky. Uh, while Charlotte uh, worked in a shirt factory, Floyd sharecropped 20 acres and served as... Uh, that just mean he farted a lot? The sharecropper? Crop dusting. I was thinking of crop dusting. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, so he would. Sh- he was a sharecropper, and he was the primary caregiver to uh, Jim. Uh, it was a pretty rough life for him. Um and it was made more difficult by his emotional problems he had. Uh, quote, he was, a lot of, he was in a lot of trouble, a very mixed-up boy, said his cousin uh, Lucille Mallet in a 1982 interview. He always did things that ordinary people wouldn't. My aunt tried to give him back to Big Brothers because she couldn't handle it. <laughs> oh, shit! But they wouldn't take him back. <laughs> the backsies, huh? <laughs> we, have, backs. we have the receipt. <laughs> <laughs> nope, you changed his name. I'm sorry. Once you change his name. That's yours. Wait, you want to change it back? You want flip-flop? That's in our policy. He's going to flip-flop? <laughs> uh, so Floyd Lewis, uh, you know, his adoptive dad, uh, died of a stroke when Jim was 12. Uh for the next five years, Charlotte and Jim lived alone in the home without plumbing or electricity. In 1964, she married Glenn Nelson, a groundskeeper at the local golf course. But uh, Jim, fr- he was a teenager now, he frightened Charlotte so much that she slept with a gun under her pillow. Oh. Schoolmates saw Jim as sensitive and vulnerable. Quote, he was a person whose feelings were rather visible, recalled Jerry Dean a Cave Junction police officer of the Kansas City Star. He was very accepting of other people. Maybe they weren't accept- as accepting of him. Because he was good-natured, people pulled pranks and did things to him that he wouldn't have done to them. He was a good boy. He was a pretty good boy. He uh, tried to be, it sounds school, like. school, he made good grades, he played trombone in the marching band, uh, and he worked on the yearbook. But at home... He's a fucking nerd. At school, he's a little bit of a nerd. At home, though, he was a he was a bit of a dick. Yeah. Um, when he was nineteen, he reportedly chased his mother with an axe, and was charged with assaulting his stepfather, who uh, he broke several ribs while beating. I think it's time to move out. You're nineteen. Like, are you sure you won't take him back? Yeah. <laughs> he's a man. Is there like a man thing that we can send <laughs> yeah. him to the army? Okay. <laughs> Is that the next thing? He joined the army. Uh, he overdosed oh. on 36 anison tablets. And was. Oh, that is. Uh, anison is like. Uh, I think it's basically just like the same as like Tylenol and stuff. All right. And Advil. I don't think you should take 30 of any pill. Uh, I think that's too many. I'm not yeah, a doctor. Yeah, it's got aspirin in it. I'm not a doctor. You probably shouldn't take 30, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he overdoses on 36 Anison tablets and was committed to a Missouri State Mental Hospital in 1966 with a diagnosis of catatonic schizophrenia. He later tried to explain the apparent suicide attempt and his brutality against his parents as an elaborate plan the family had hatched so he could avoid the Vietnam draft. So kind of what you're saying. Wow. You know, like maybe they were trying to get rid of him. He was like, and nope. Yep. Uh... (laughs) Not doing that shit. By the one way, take it on the crazy train. Uh, but yeah, he liked school. He attended the University of Missouri at Kansas City, where he met Lee Ann Miller, uh, and they would be married on Thanksgiving Day, 1968. Uh, she I mean, that's smart. That's an easy way to remember your anniversary. Thanksgiving Day. Yeah. Wow. Thanksgiving Day. Uh, she became his rock. Uh, his Dwayne Johnson, if you will. <laughs> they were social mis- misfits who fit together. She was a small, plain woman. Uh, which, what the fuck is up with these descriptions? You know, she was... Why has he got to be playing? She was just, you're playing... Pl- pl- what do you want from her, man? Playing Leanne, you know. Oh, God damn. Uh, you know, if like you had... Maybe, maybe he really liked that about like her. Like if you had to describe her, you'd just be like... I would never describe someone. Uh, you know, just... Uh, she has a face. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she had some hair. I don't know. Yeah, she, don't she's know. there. She was. She was there. She's. Uh, I think she existed. Like I two know. eyes. She had two eyes. Uh, think about see. it. Two, yeah, yeah. Probably two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I'm gonna, like, yeah, somewhere in there. She'd say yeah. stuff. She'd be like, uh, and you'd be like, all right. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got you, Leanne. <laughs> she was just very plain. <laughs> very plain. Uh, and she wore the same kind of glasses as him, in case you're wondering. <laughs> oh. uh, she, too, enjoyed working with numbers and discussing politics and technology. Yeah. Dude, numbers rock. Uh, she admired uh, Jim. Uh, you know, he was tall, soft spoken, had piercing blue eyes. Uh, she listened to him. And, you know, would defer to him on everything. Like, just, he was, whatever he said went. Yeah. Uh, she worked hard to see them through financial times. In June 1969, Leanne gave birth to a daughter, Tony Ann. Uh, you know, she's like, well, I'm Leanne. You're going to be Tony Ann. We're just going to keep this. That's, that's his plane keep shit. Ann rolling. <laughs> Ann train rolling. Keeping that plane train rolling. Uh, their joy was unaffected by the babies. Uh, she... Tony Ann was born with Down syndrome and some health problems, but they all, you know, they had each other, so they were going to get through it. So Jim and Leanne started working together as bookkeepers for Haley's Instant Tax Service. They moved into its basement and managed the operation for a couple of years. That instant tax. So you're saying, as soon as you walk in, your shit's done. Because that's instant. Instant. They'll be like, sign in. I'm like, huh. Nah, I should be done. You should already be done. It's, I, it's what? Sign you in. Me money <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> Like I planned just, on being here for point zero one yeah, seconds. Yeah, instant. Man. Uh, but then one day, Lewis uh, exploded at the owner, Bob Haley. Haley told the Kansas City Star that he wanted to take a calculator. Keep in mind, by the way, he owns this place. Yeah, he's the owner. So he, he, wanted, he tells the Kansas City Star that one day he wanted to take a calculator home, and Lewis blew up on him about it. You're not fucking taking that. <laughs> the calculator you bought and the building that you own, you want to take to the house you own? Uh, fuck you. No. <laughs> fuck you, wait you, Bob, tell my, you wait till I tell oh, what's her face <laughs> about this. Uh, you know, you know. <laughs> right? I don't know. <laughs> so, Play J, whatever. I'm going to tell her. So this apparently was so bad that Jim and Leanne left the business. <laughs> they got to take my staple And open their own. <laughs> <They're> like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, over a calculator. Our calculators never leave. <laughs> we may not be instant, but our calculators they never stay leave. stay in the <laughs> building. Calculators are chained to the desk. <laughs> so like little bank pens. They have a little... <laughs> so they open their own business. Lewis and Lewis Business Tax Service. Uh, they opened it up in a rundown part of Kansas. It should have just been Lewis's tax service. Lewis and Lewis. Lewis and Lewis, yeah. Yeah, they're married, so it just, could just be yeah. the Lewis, Lewis's just been tax Lewis service. business tax. Yeah. Lewis family business tax. Uh, <laughs> Plain-ass motherfuckers. They served, <laughs> they served their clientele from a storefront office with Tony Ann playing happily alongside them. Uh, the toddler would often sit in the window and wave at passersby. <laughs> passersby. They would put her in the window! No, That's a good way to get business. Uh, cute, little, cute little adorable toddler sitting there. Uh, one day, hours at a time, shit running down her legs. <laughs> one day, an elderly man named Raymond West waved back. Uh, enchanted by the little girl, West introduced himself to the Lewises and became their client as well as their friend. He tried to, uh, then in 1974, December 10th, uh, Tony Ann uh, had to have corrective heart surgery and she passed away. Oh, but shit. Raymond, Raymond West was kind of like there to like help console them. Just, uh-huh. you know, he, he had become their friend. Um, and he was there for him. So, grief-stricken, the parents continued to talk about their daughter and show off her drawings to clients. Uh, like, anytime you would go in there, you'd probably, you know, probably be like, I just kind of want my taxes. Yeah, like, we just, I'm really sorry. I mean, I I, I can't express how sorry I, I am. What to you, but it's, it's the worst. Like, I don't even want to think about it. On my lunch break. But, yeah. It's... I know you don't have instant in the name. <laughs> yeah. But I thought maybe. You know. I don't want to take any calculators home. You guys can keep him here and do the work. Uh, and again, I'm sorry. I, uh, but I it's do awful. Need, I do need this. I shot. need. This. How much money am I gonna get? <laughs> uh, so they carried on, and in 1975, they moved to a bungalow farther up, uh, not far from West's home in Campbell, or on Campbell Street. So Raymond West, he was a lifetime, lifelong bachelor and former truck driver. He lived in the neighborhood with his mother since 1946. By 1977, <laughs> his mother had died, and Ma. West had retired to a simple life of daily walks, uh, reading the evening paper on his porch swing, and tending his flower garden. Sounds that, like a pretty good. That's a fucking pretty, pretty good, good life. life. Yeah. 
Uh, I'd probably need a few more things in there, but that's not a bad start at all. <laughs> that September, a uh, freak flood swept away three area houses and West's car, uh, nearly killing him. Uh, at this point, he was 72 years old. Neighbors threw him a rope while he struggled against the raging waters. This is like a real fucking flood. Damn. Uh, he survived and went to work repairing his property. Um, everybody was used to seeing him around. He liked to be helpful. Uh, he would save his newspapers and take them down to a local florist every Sunday, which I'm assuming they use to, like, rap. They read the stories of the flowers. Yeah, or that. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Uh, They're like, oh, wait till you see what Blondie did today. <laughs> oh, Garfield. Flowers. You are, you're a scamp. <laughs> uh, always up your shenanigans with John. You love that lasagna. <laughs> Not so much the Mondays. Mondays and Odies, am I right? Lilacs. You're not going to believe what Archie's up to this <laughs> yeah. week. Uh, on Sunday, July 23rd, 1970. But seriously, talk to your plants, people. Seriously. Tell it, them all it, about Hagar it, the It matters. Uh, they matter. You matter. <laughs> on Sunday, July 23rd, 1978, West went to the florist as usual. Uh, a neighbor said he called her later that evening. He reported feeling a little bit sick, but talked mostly about getting his refrigerator fixed. Oh, my God. Could you imagine that phone call? Your neighbor just calls you. You're like, oh, I'm not feeling very well, but yeah, I'm going to get my refrigerator fixed. And I'm like, what do you want? Why are Is you? on fire? Like, I hope you feel better, but why are you calling me? I can't believe people used to have phone conversations. And yeah. You would just be sitting there and, like, a phone on the wall would ring. And you wouldn't know who the fuck it was. And you'd, hello? What's oh. happening? What is this going to be? Oh, yeah, Fuck. And it was just common. Yeah, we just did it. You just well, I wonder what this person's doing. Just <laughs> ring, ring, ring. Well, hello. <laughs> oh yeah, it's you, Jerry. What's going on? Oh, not much. Uh, <laughs> okay, bye. Cool, man. So uh, you know how you know how's the day going? Like, Cash had his hand up to his head like he was holding the phone. Yeah. See, I've been doing, even... I've been doing all this with my hands in my lap, but Cash is he's really committed to it. <laughs> He's talking into his hand right now yeah. like it's a phone. Oh, uh, you know, just another another Sunday. Uh, <laughs> me and the missus, just, uh, we went into town, you know, picked up some bread and some What about milk, this weather? Came back for some eggs, you know. Yeah, everything going good your way? Yeah? All right. Call well, me never. So your refrigerator needs repaired, huh? Oh, you know, Bob down at the service station, he can, he knows a guy. Uh, yeah. Well, you want to talk for another 45 minutes about nothing? <laughs> Yeah, sounds great to me. I got nothing else going on. <laughs> Literally nothing. It's there's three channels on, and there's nothing on tonight. So, <laughs> yeah, it's like we're in the same room together. Nowadays, <laughs> you call me, I answer, go, uh, yeah, <laughs> and then within the third, if you just say what's going on, I'm like, do you need something? <laughs> what is it? No. Why are you doing this? Yeah, to me? like text before you call. <laughs> yeah. Like hey, I'm gonna call you in a second. And I'm like, why? And I'll determine. Is it a phone worthy call? Well, just for the record, if you ever, this goes for almost everybody, if you ever get a phone call from me, know that it is an emergency, I need to talk to you. I have called you a couple times from the car and stuff, like yeah. driving by, just asking you something. Or... Yeah, it's like, I'm going to keep you on the phone at the most 35 seconds. Yeah, yeah. I'm it's in, to talk I'm about out. one thing, yeah. and then we're done. Yeah. And I'll feel bad about it the whole rest of the day. It's like, oh, man, I called him. Ugh. But yeah, that's what they used to do back then. They would just call and talk about their refrigerator and not feeling very good. Yeah. <laughs> that was just a thing. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah. Like, I mean, we people just, remembered it. People were like, oh, I remember when you called and we talked we about it. We do the their- same thing now with texting, but like, yeah. I can do 40 other things while yeah. we do this. Yep. So, anyways, uh, <coughs> he, yeah, he calls, tells this, you know, neighbor about his fridge and then nobody, nobody hears from him. So, uh, a longtime friend of Ray's, Charles Banker, uh, became concerned on Monday when he couldn't reach West by phone. Because, <laughs> that's the other thing. Oh, yeah. You could get somebody to answer the phone. Oh, fuck, they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> I could be dead for two weeks and people are like, oh, I mean, Daddy calls you? Like, he never calls me. Yeah. I guess that's true, right? Uh, if he had, that's why he was dead. <laughs> he called me like, hey, I'm dying. <laughs> Bye. So, uh, Banker and his wife drive over to West's home to investigate. They find the doors unlocked, or they find the doors locked. And his car in the garage. Uh, they knocked on the door. No one came to it. So a bedroom shade was raised up. Uh, they could see inside. The bed was unmade, uh, which apparently was not a thing. Raymond West. Oh. That was not a common thing for him. That's what I do. First thing. Do I, you make your bed? I get up, take a shower, then I make my bed. I don't ever make my bed. 
I make my bed. No, okay. But I then s- I cover it with clean clothes that were on the floor that I need to put in the, on the bed because I don't fold my laundry. I actually heard, like, I was uh, usually on my way into work, I have uh, Bob and Tom on just because uh-huh. I don't have a long enough drive where I need music. Like, you know, so yeah. just whatever the fuck's happening. So they were actually talking about that the other morning, like, making their bed. Mm-hmm. And most of them did that every day. Sure. I don't. What's the point? I think and I don't just, mean that as in like, how dare you make your bed? Yeah, like, I'm just wondering what the mindset of. Like, I really enjoy pulling back covers and getting in. A that's nice what they said. Made bed. That's what they yeah. said. That it was like a. And I'm easy. I don't have a sheet on my bed. I just have two blankets. So, I mean, it's super easy for me to make yeah. my bed. I don't like tuck sheets in. I don't. That's I what just, they were saying. It was I a psychological thing of like, yeah. oh, I get to pull this back yeah. and climb. Oh, it. don't even talk about it because I'm ready for that shit, man. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, I just kind of figure, like, I'm getting back into that yeah. spot. <laughs> so, here in a little few hours. Sure. Uh, anyways. So, they call the police. Uh, the police... <laughs> the police they call the police. He didn't make he his didn't bed. He didn't make his bed, officer, and I'm pretty sure that's illegal. Yeah. Uh, so, no, they... Do you see the tag on the mattress? They I think... see it. It might be cut off. off. Uh, so the officers come to the house. Uh, they ask Charles Banker, um, you know, hey, is there anybody that was friends with him that might know where he's at? Uh, and Banker mentions a few neighbors, including the tax man, Jim Lewis. Oh, the tax man. That's a fucking cool nickname. <laughs> yeah, is it, though? Yeah. I mean, if you're just a tax man, it's not that cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, if, like, you're, like, a hit, like, yeah, you're, like, you, a hitman. He works for the mob, and he's like, I'm here to collect some fucking tax. No, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm here to collect cool. that debt. Like, that's cool. Yeah. But, yeah, if you're just a like, tax fuck, guy. fuck, the tax man was just here. He's looking for yeah. you. Shit, what'd you tell him? If you're Irwin R. Scheister, it's <laughs> <Yeah>. pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty cool. The tax man. So the officer called Lewis who uh, he tells the officer that West went to the Ozarks for three or four days with his girlfriend. Uh, the police were like, yeah, okay, sounds like a thing people do. Yeah. Um, but Charles Banker, that didn't sound right to him. He, uh, in their 30-year friendship, West had never had a romantic involvement. Uh, I was wondering about that because he said he was a lifetime bachelor and he tended that's to the, the garden. That's code for gay. Yeah. He was a gay man. Yeah, and that's and like the, early 70s yeah. how they so, described, yeah. Lived with his mom the whole, his whole yep, life, you know. Yep, Yeah. Just a, just a friendly old gay guy. And that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that is a code where, yeah. like, lifelong bachelor. <laughs> lifelong bachelor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, or, or. Maybe not. Asexual. <laughs> yeah. Could be asexual. Yeah. Just like, I don't need this but shit. They just never had romantic interest. Yeah, I'm completely fine just being me. Just be, yeah. yeah. So, but it, you know, whenever this Charles Banker hears that this guy left with his girlfriend for three or four days, well, no. Yeah. Either way, like, no. I'm Charles, sure he would have heard about a girl that he was even dating. Yeah, that's what he said. to be a girlfriend. There's no way he would have had a girlfriend and not told Charles. Yeah. This. So. I mean, they used to fuck all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, come up once at least once <laughs> oh, i'm sorry go on so then banker files a <laughs> that's missing, not true <laughs> he files a missing persons report uh then banker returns to west's home on wednesday and now there is a note on the still locked front door it says i'm definitely not dead inside oh, pretty much <laughs> okay kind of <laughs> sorry this loyal uh written it's written on lewis and lewis letterhead <laughs> and it reads ray is out of town until thursday for further information, call Jim. <laughs> Ain't no reason to if bother you feel Ray. That you've reached this message in error, <laughs> then please turn around and return to your car. Call me so I can tell you some bullshit. <laughs> yeah, call uh, me. Banker then checked around back and noticed that the previously raised uh, shade window shade was now pulled down. Mm. So he calls police again. Uh, the police this time forced their way in. Uh, they walked through the house with Banker. Everything appears to be in order, though. Then they found a note on the living room coffee table. Just notes on notes. And it says, please don't disturb until after one. Sleeping late, Raymond. So, Banker tells the police that handwriting's not Raymond West's. He said West never signed anything Raymond, except for his checks. Any other time, he would go by Ray. Uh, Unnerved, Banker bought two new locks for the doors and gave police the second set of keys. Officers then left the scene. Now, here's my question. Yeah. And I know we talk a lot about cops being fucking morons. Uh-huh. Especially back... Back in the day. You know. If there's a possible missing person... Yeah. And you break into their home, and you see a note that says, Hey, please don't wake me up yeah. until after one. I'm sleeping. 
I get it's being nice and respectful of their wishes not to go wake him up, but how about you go up, check his room? They didn't check the room? No. The guy, Baker, didn't go up and check the room? Apparently not. Apparently they see this, like they check, everything looks pretty good in here. They see this note, says he's sleeping until 1, uh, and then Baker's like, well, I'll, ch- I'll change the locks. And they're like, yep, okay. And they're like, that was not his handwriting anyway. So no investigation. Like, they just, toodaloo. <laughs> so. They... You can't. You gotta check the whole house. <laughs> you gotta. You're and, there. And okay, so let's say they did check the whole house. Yeah. And they see this note that says, uh, "Please don't disturb me after one sleeping late." Raymond. They don't go. Well, he's not sleeping. We're here. Yeah. In the house that he would be sleeping in. So this is bullshit. So let's look for him. Let's look. Let's do something. Yeah. Let's, let's, Either way, this let's happened. Investigate. Let's they police. Just, work. They just went. Well. <laughs> well. See you later. Let's get to the diner and get some coffee. <laughs> So, uh, according to Banker's statement to police, uh, <coughs> while he was there changing the locks, Jim Lewis drives up. Uh, Hi, Jim Lewis from Lewis and Lewis Tax. <laughs> and uh, when he sees Banker changing the locks on the front door, he jumps up, jumps out of the car, runs up to the porch. What the hell are you doing? And then James Banker's like, what the hell is it look I'm doing? I'm putting new locks on. And then Lewis is like, all right, okay, all right. Uh, they talk a little bit. And then Lewis gets back in his car, uh, but but uh, Banker and uh, the buddy that's helping him put the locks on, uh-huh. they notice that all that Jim just kind of pulls down the street a little bit, <laughs> and then he gets, gets behind a delivery truck like he's hiding, and then he's just like watching him. <laughs> and then ten minutes later, the truck pulls away, and Lewis is still sitting there watching him. So then Lewis hurries up and goes off, like just leaves, like yeah. oh shit, <laughs> my perfect plan, my cover. That's a vault from Breaking Bad shit or something. Yeah. So, uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, quick, because i got to see what's going on here. We hope you enjoy another uh, amazing performance oh, in yes. MAM Theater and an ad, and then we will be right back. Right back. And now, Cash and Joel debate who would win between Jason Voorhees and a squirrel. Joel and Cash have been arguing for what felt like an eternity about who would win in a fight between Jason Voorhees and a squirrel. Come on, man. There's no contest here. Jason Voorhees would destroy a squirrel. (laughs) You're underestimating squirrels, my friend. They're scrappy little critters. But Jason is a killing machine. He's got superhuman strength and can't be killed. What's a squirrel going to do against that? Look, I'm not saying the squirrel would necessarily come out on top. But I think it could put up a pretty good fight. Squirrels are fast and agile, man. They could dart around Jason and confuse him. I don't know, man. I just don't see it. Jason would just swat the squirrel away like it was nothing. Think about it, though. What if the squirrel had some kind of weapon? Like a tiny little sword or something? (laughs) Are you serious right now? A sword-wielding squirrel? That's ridiculous. Hey, anything's possible. And if the squirrel had a weapon, it could definitely do some damage to Jason. I still don't buy it. Jason is just too powerful. I don't think anything on this earth could take him down. Well, Joel, I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree. And with that, the argument was over. Scene. This has been Cash and Joel debating Jason Voorhees v. Squirrel. Cash needs a drink. Big surprise. I like my drinks, Joel. So, uh, if you're listening to the podcast on Spotify, we would like you to go to, there's going to be a question uh, in there that asks you, who do you think would win in a fight? Oh. Jason Voorhees or a squirrel? That's just, just let us know. Why? Because Jason's going to win, though. Well, again, I think you're underestimating squirrels. <laughs> my friend so <laughs> i'm not your friend if you think a squirrel could take jason this podcast is over look look the squirrel would like get acorn like acorns that's just just back just to the, stuff just, him in jason's mouth no. nose and eyes and ears he's got a hockey mask on you can't stuff With him in holes? his mouth you're gonna get little nuts well <laughs> i mean i know where you know where to find little nuts but where's the squirrel gonna find just go with the story okay so i've had it up to here with the squirrel so yeah jim lewis is trying to be all 
spy. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. Whatever. And then his copper goes away. He's like, <laughs> he uh, starts whistling. <laughs> he like just lifts up a little. I'm thick, not driving right now. Lifts up a little fake mustache, puts yeah. it on. Hell yeah. Or he has it tattooed on his finger. Makes little sunglasses <laughs> yeah. out of his fingers over his glasses he has on. Uh, so yeah, uh, Raymond West has gone missing. Charles Banker thinks this is. You know, something's going on. Jim Lewis is acting a tiny bit suspicious. Uh, so, Banker, uh, Charles Banker returns to the home on August 14th. And this time, there is a awful smell. And he's like, well, I'm definitely not checking this time. Uh, he looks through the house again. He enters the spare bedroom. Everything looks as it had two weeks earlier. So, apparently, they did check the bedroom. Okay. Which means, again, he's not where he says he is in the note. So, let's maybe look into this. Yeah. Um, except for this time... Uh, there's a few bed linens and pillows lying on the floor. So Banker picks up one pillow and finds a part of a horse harness that West used as a belt loop key ring. I don't... I don't so... Okay. So he, maybe like just like one of those little hook things where you can push down on I'm it. Thinking you know, like, like a carb, 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 carbiner? Yeah. Carbiner? Yeah, something uh, like something. that. Uh, so he kicks the sheet a little bit, like just kind of kicks it out of the way and discovers... Yeah. Discovers dried blood. <laughs> so once again, he calls police. Uh, it's 95 degrees out. Uh, Gonna be a hot one today. West had been missing for 21 days at this point. Jeez. So if you want to imagine the odor, yeah, uh, go ahead and like take it in. Now vomit to your right. Oh, it smells really so, good. It smells earthy. So the cops show up. They kind of know as soon as they get there. They know that smell. They know what's up. Ooh-wee, that smell. <laughs> Ooh-wee, that smell. You smell that, Peppa? <laughs> so they find Don't a... You love that smell? They find a bloody lawn chair in the basement in a garbage bag containing West's toupee and eyeglasses, as well as some bloodstained sheets. Who doesn't keep their toupees and eyeglasses in, in a, a bloody, bloody garbage bag, bag with that's, bloody sheets? That's the best place yeah. for them. So they return to the upstairs bedroom, and they notice a foot-long stain running between the ceiling and the wall. So they get a ladder, and they enter the attic. Uh, In the attic, they find a partially decomposed body lying face down, still dressed in a striped polo shirt and tan corduroy pants. What if he killed him up in the attic? How would they get him up there? Both... Slow your roll, Joe! Both legs had been severed at the hip joint. Oh! The right leg lay near the head on the right side. The other rested farther down on the left. Uh, Both feet wore black socks. Both legs had been wrapped in sheets. The head was also wrapped with sheets and a cord, and the torso was partially covered with a garbage bag tied on with cotton rope. All the wrappings were saturated with blood and other bodily fluids, which had soaked through the insulation below. In the attic's corner, police found pruning shears, a baseball bat, and a pulley-like device along with more rope. I think it's important to keep the weapons you kill someone with right, right there by the we- by the body. Well, that's just <laughs> that's just being well organized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, they figure what this the pulley-like device had been used to kind of hoist, you know. Okay, yeah. The, um, the parts up. So the corpse was so highly decomposed that medical examiners examiners were unable well, three to... Three weeks in an attic. Yeah, in 90-some degree weather. Uh, coroners, medical examiners, were unable to determine the victim's identity, age, or race. Taking fingerprints was out of the question. Hair samples would be tough to come by. Dental records were even worse. West was bald and had dentures from a defunct dentist's office, so there's no... Uh, eventually, examiners are able to match the body with a stray hair found in a cap downstairs. It was West... But investigators still didn't have a cause of death. There were no bullet wounds or signs of trauma. What authorities did have was a check for $5,000 drawn on West's account. It was dated July 23rd, 1978, to be paid to James Lewis. Oh, bomb, bomb, bomb! Within hours of discovering the body, police went to Lewis's home, handcuffed him, and took him downtown. They relieved him of his property and put him in a holding cell for an hour. He was then taken to an office and questioned for several hours. Lewis explained that the check was a loan. West had given him the check during the morning visit on Sunday. He also said he put the note on West's front door so folks like Banker wouldn't worry about him. He told police he didn't know anyone who would want to hurt Ray. He submitted fingerprints and a handwriting sample and was released. The following day, police returned to Lewis' home again asking about the check. The bank. But yeah, what? Why did he give you five thousand dollars? He said it was a loan. Yeah, it's just a loan. Uh, the bank had refused to honor it when West 
couldn't be found to confirm its validity. Banker had told police that Ray was extremely tight with his money. He once gave a neighbor $5, and they joked that he was turning into a big spender. Lewis said the $5,000 was a business expansion loan from West and produced a typed-out promissory note. According to the police report, detectives asked Lewis if he had West's checkbook and a key to his home. I do not, Lewis told them. He then agreed to sign a consent to search form, allowing police to survey his home and office as well as his vehicles, saying, I'll sign it, but I don't have the key and checkbook, and I think you guys are fishing. In Lewis's car, detectives discovered, among other items, 20 feet of knotted white rope, a blank attache case with papers bearing West's name, a trash bag, and a bundle of Raymond West's checks. No. I don't have those. Other than the ones but I have. I mean, have. I have those. <laughs> yeah. I don't have those. I, you didn't ask specifically which ones. You're fishing. The police again took Lewis into custody. Officers asked if he'd killed Raymond West. Lewis said no. You know, the old lie defense. <laughs> Hard to get through that one. He didn't say no. And we asked they him. They let him go. We're like, well, shit, we thought we had our guy. <laughs> he said he didn't do it, though. What else are we going to do? In late August, the Jackson County Grand Jury charged Lewis with capital murder. But days before the October 1979 trial date, Prosecutor James Bell asked for dismissal of the case. He had no choice. Lewis's defense attorney, Albert Reeder, had done his job well. In pretrial motions, the defense attorney successfully argued police had no probable cause to arrest Lewis the first time. They also neglected to read him as Miranda warning. Every scrap of evidence collected, therefore, or thereafter, fell away as inadmissible. Even the original indictment was ruled defective, it omitted the term felonious. Bell was left with a bag of bloody circumstantial evidence and a local coroner who couldn't testify to a cause of death, let alone a homicide. The defense attorney had witnesses lined up to talk about West's high it's blood pressure. It's a classic case of going up in the attic, cutting yourself up. You know, <laughs> it's what people did back then. Jesus. But yeah, the defense attorney had witnesses lined up to talk about how Raymond West had high blood pressure and a potent medication regimen, which could have caused his demise. Because the legs naturally rot off and yeah, fall. sure. Cleanly cut. And wrap themselves up. All the time. All the time. And then a cord and bag around your head and your torso. And But since the police didn't say the magic words. <laughs> felonious. And didn't read the, you know, little poem they read, the Miranda warning. <laughs> Their little spell. What a stupid fucking thing. Uh, you have the right to remain silent. <laughs> So the defense attorney... Why would they just be like, oh, but we did? Like, oh, you did? I'm like, yep, we did. But he said you didn't. We're the police and we... Cops lie. But that guy says you did. Yeah, but we're the cops and we said we did. And they'd be like, all right, well, we believe you. Now we don't know what to do because you're saying you did, they're saying you didn't. So the uh, defense attorney said, it's one thing to kill somebody. It's another thing to dismember them after they're dead. And while dismembering somebody after they're dead is repulsive and repugnant, it's not homicide. So he stands by his former client. He says, it was my impression that he did not do it. There really was no evidence of foul play prior to Raymond West's death. There were no bullet holes to indicate he would have died a violent death and had been dismembered. So, again, they're just saying that Raymond West climbed into the attic and just... His body Burst parts apart. fell off. <laughs> yeah. Apparently. He wrote, someone else wrote a note for him first. Yeah. To put on the table. And he wrote a check to that guy. And he was like, well, I'm just going to go up in the attic and dismember myself now. And the defense attorney is also kind of saying, like, yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, it's bad to kill somebody. But if you happen to find a dead body and you dismember it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who hasn't one? Who amongst that? us yeah. hasn't done that? So as Lewis left the courtroom a free man, uh, Bell, who was the prosecutor, told reporters the case was one of the most mysterious, confusing, befuddling, complex, and probably one of the most difficult difficult cases I've ever handled. It's a it's downright mysterious. Oh. Uh, the Lewis's returned to their accounting practice and launched an additional business venture, uh, Algeve International which they'd incorporated in 1975 with an Indian-born pharmacist named Varen Mehta to import industrial pill-making machines manufactured in India. Lewis often bragged about his international business connections and impending deals, 
In the mid-70s, according to a police report, he even paid a Kansas City cop $50 to serve as a bodyguard during a transaction involving loose gyms. $50? That's $50 whole dollars. Wow. Uh, nevertheless, Lewis's sidelines floundered, as did his tax services. Quote, he was reading books, but he wasn't making any money, uh, according to an ex-employee uh, of his tax service. He was always doing busy work while his, war- while his wife was doing the real work. In his mind, he was running the whole show. Though. Oh, what's her face? <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> yeah. as, the, as the years. <laughs> With the hair. Uh, Kansas City law enforcement thought Lewis was running a criminal enterprise, falsifying credit card applications, and in one instance, instructing the IRS to direct a client's check to the account of a Lewis corporation. Former assistant U.S. attorney Jeremy Margolis summarizes Lewis' method, quote, this is this is amazing. He would invent an address, pound a mailbox into the ground, pull the mailbox out of the ground once what he needed to be in it was in it, uh, and then just move it somewhere else and invent a new address for it. <laughs> like, so, yeah, he would just go with an address, there's the mailbox for it. Thank you very much for the thing. <laughs> I'll take that back. Let me walk down here in a little bit. Yeah. Pound, pound, pound. This is the new address. Yeah. Thank you for the new thing. <laughs> uh, it would later come out in federal court that Lewis also faced charges of swindling, swindling clients in a land deal in Jackson County. Authorities searched Lewis' home on December 4th, 1981, and found typewriter ribbons, mailboxes, credit card applications, and enough other evidence to issue a warrant arrest for James Lewis. The couple beat it out of Kansas City for Chicago, taking only what their 69 Rambler could carry. Under, 69! Uh, nice. Nice! Under assumed names, uh, now going by Robert and Nancy Richardson, the couple checked in. Robert Richardson? Robbie, That's what you come up with? Robbie Richardson. Robbie Richardson! Uh, a week later, they moved into a tiny apartment in Lincoln Park. Uh, R.I.P. Leanne, or Nancy, soon found bookkeeping work at Lakeside Travel, owned by Miller Brewing heir Frederick Miller McKay. According to neighbors, Lewis spent much of his first few months in Chicago studying books on economics, history, and computers. He also spent hours training the building manager's dog, writing, and engaging fellow tenants in highbrow discussions. Uh, Quote, I thought he was the smartest man I ever spoke to, said one neighbor. Said some dummy. (laughs) (laughs) He always talked about money. Not necessarily having some. Dude, that's my least favorite fucking thing to talk about. I have people that they just can't wait to tell you how much they pay for shit, how much they get paid, and I hate all of it. There is a person that, like, I, you know, I'm not un, I'm not, not friends with them. We used to be a lot better friends, but yeah. now we just kind of, you know, I haven't seen them in a while. But that was something, like, if I hadn't seen them in a little while, you know, say eight months, whatever, and then I'd run to them again. The very first thing was, oh, yeah, I'm working here now. They're paying me this. Yeah. And I'd be like, yeah, hi. How are you? Yeah, hello. How are I you? I see you again. Are what? you listening to me? <laughs> <laughs> like, I did not need to know that. Yep. I don't like money. that either. Unless you like, want to talk about how much money you want to give me. <laughs> I'll listen to that. Yeah, now if the next sentence was, so, and I'm going to give you <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, cool. 40% of that. Like, I'm a awesome. lot more interested in this story you now. Hug me now? <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, so she says that he always, or they say, I don't know if it's a she, yeah. uh, they say he always talked about money, not necessarily having some, but <laughs> he used to Wouldn't go- Wouldn't it be cool to have money, though? <laughs> he used to go through the financial financial sections all the time and cut small pieces out. So, yeah, like, that makes her the smartest man, or that makes him the smartest man ever. <laughs> like, he would talk about wanting money. Yeah. I would, mean, only geniuses talk about he, that. he, like, put collages together. Of money. <laughs> of money for the newspaper. Uh, Lewis looked a part of a wayward executive. He, it was like he went to the Salvation Army and bought his suits. <laughs> Recalled another tenant. He wanted to look dressed to What's have a wrong tie. What's wrong with buying? <laughs> 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 oh, you thought you were just going to slip that past me? I'd wait for it. I can't wait to put my Salvation Army shirt on here in a little bit. I'm going to host that comedy show. Uh, and I'm going to salute everybody. <laughs> he, he acted like he had places to go. Yeah, the Salvation Army to get some more suits! <laughs> Each day, he'd walk Leander or a bus stop. Sometimes, he'd also meet her for lunch or stop by the office to show off a new set of fancy pins. Ooh. He was very proud of his handwriting. <laughs> uh, that was another thing he talked about a lot, was how nice his handwriting was. Um, and devotedly, he'd wait at the bus stop for his wife's return. They'd walk hands and hand in hand back to their room. 
Uh, so Bob and Nancy, as they're known now, made friends of the building and threw Leanne's job. They did the normal things, movies, afternoon coffee, bowling, window shopping. Uh, while maintaining their aliases, the two never hesitated to talk about their dog, daughter and how much they missed her. In January of 82, Lewis found work at Chicago Tax Service on Broadway, but the position was short-lived. Lewis's temper flared up when the owner found a mistake on a return. At least, you know, this time the owner was didn't seem like it was a calculator issue. <laughs> uh, Jim didn't take the criticism well and was fired. He then hooked up with the Loftus and O'Mara Temporary Agency from April through August of 82. He worked as a temp in various departments of the First National Bank of Chicago, where he claimed to notice a lack of security. Uh, quote, he told me about how he could walk into any office without anyone asking him questions about what he was doing there. Oh. Says Wanda Lou Brown, he a friend. He must have a clipboard or something. <laughs> and he noticed on one table stack of documents that contained vital information that could be used to transfer money from one bank account to another by a computer. And he mentioned it, that it would be something that would be embarrassing for that bank to have found out. So that summer, Lewis also became obsessed with Frederick, Frederick Miller McCahee, uh, since taking over Lakeside Travel a year earlier, McKay-He had experienced problems managing the business. Leanne saw the end coming. She knew they were about to shut down. Bank accounts were overdrawn, and airlines had pulled the agency's ticketing privileges. In later courtroom testimony, late Leanne's supervisor, Barbara Vatkus, recalled that co-workers gossiped about McKay-He putting other enterprises out of business. Vatkus said she discovered evidence that McKay-He had diverted company funds to pay his personal bills, and was not properly depositing Lakeside's receipts. Rich guy shit. Rich guy shit. Yeah, come on. Before she quit her job in the spring of 82, uh, this is uh, this is something to kind of keep in mind. So before she quit her job in the spring of 82, Leanne stamped a stack of blank envelopes with postage uh, the from the that place like the, you just send. The postmark said April 15th, 82. The following Friday, Lakeside Travel went belly up. Vatkus issued 18 final paychecks, including Leanne's, for $511.33. All the checks bounced. The Lewises had cashed Leanne's check at a nearby currency exchange on July 27th, 82. The currency exchange sued them to recover the funds. The exchange's attorney, Anthony Fernelli, recalled the couple's agitated demeanor during a subsequent visit to his office. Uh, quote, they appeared to be more upset than anybody else. They were very adamant in their position that they didn't owe the money, that they had worked for it, and that McKay-He was a crook, and that he should pay. Jim Lewis had been working on an attack plan. He'd hit the law books and encouraged other disgruntled employees to file complaints with the Illinois Department of Labor's Wage Claim Board. Leanne called Vatkus, looking for a list of McKay-He's bank account numbers. Jim got on the line and took down the information, which was pretty nice of this Vatkus person to be like, well, here's all the bank info. <laughs> Armed with a thick packet of documentation, Jim and Leanne marched into the August 3rd wage claim hearing, surrounded by several supportive, relief-seeking co-workers. he didn't attend, sending his attorney instead. Longtime Lakeside employee Evelyn Gold witnessed the meeting. Quote, we all sat around a big conference table, and the officer asked us how much we were each claiming for. Then he's lawyer said that there wasn't any money in the account. All the accounts had been frozen by one of the banks because he had owed them money. He passed around copies of the bank statements to show there was no money. All of us were arguing about it, and because our claim was the salary should have gone through before they were allowed to freeze. Jim Lewis served as the group's principal advocate. He was one of those who was most outspoken about it. He and Nancy had a full file of papers. Jim said there were accounts, personal accounts in McKay he had, that he thought that he had taken money out of Lakeside Travel to put in his personal account. Um, so, yeah, he's saying this guy, you know, rich he has stuff. the money. Just... The officer rebuffed Jim Lewis. He asked Jim what he was doing there. Jim said, uh, or he said, you're not one of the employees, are you? Or a liar? And Jim said, no, he was the husband and he was concerned. So the wage claim officer said, you see that plain woman back there? No, she, I know you haven't noticed it's her. It's hard to know. She's right in front of the wall. She's not part of the wall. Do you see her? Wave, move, do something. Leanne, her. Leanne, That's my wife. Blink. <laughs> so. Oh my God, that scared me. I didn't even realize that was a person. Uh... So, yeah, he says, no, I'm not one of the lawyers. I'm not an employee. I'm just a husband. So the wage officer claimed, or the wage claim officer said, uh, well, you shouldn't really even be taking a part in this. And then Jim got up, and he went and sat in another chair by the wall, just, you know, pouting. Kind yeah. Of. About 45 minutes later, the ruling came down. The officer said there was nothing really that he could do about it because there was no money available to lay a claim against, and that was it. McKay, he walked in as the meeting broke up. Jim and Leanne confronted him, and a five-minute shouting match ensued. According to Barbara Vatkus, the exchange ended with McKay threatening Leanne. 
determined the Lewis's convene a strategy lunch with other ex-employees a week later at the Loophole Restaurant on Randolph. Jim told the group he'd send his files. He'd send his files on McKay to the Illinois Attorney General and to the U.S. Attorney, calling for an investigation into uh, McKay. Officials would later testify they'd never received anything. But while Jim and Leanne were still fired up, the others' enthusiasm had waned. Many had moved on to other jobs at this point, didn't hold out much hope for pay- repayment, so the group kind of just disbanded. After paying back just $50 of the funds owed, uh, Jim and Leanne packed up and left their home on September 3rd, 1982, with three suitcases, one tote bag, a cardboard box, and a briefcase. On September 4th, 1982, using new aliases, Karen and William Wagner... The couple paid two hundred twenty-one dollars. Willie cash. Wagner. <laughs> this guy loves his double friggin' same yes, letters. He does. One letter, both names. They paid two hundred twenty-one dollars for a for cash for a one-way ticket on an Amtrak train headed for New York City. Two days later, they checked into the Fleabag Rutledge New Hotel. New York City. And Man- Midtown Manhattan is Robert and Nancy Richardson. So they're back to that, and paid ninety-five dollars for a week's rent. And that is where we're going to stop with part one. Oh! Because, sure, they've probably murdered and dismembered a man. Yeah. And sure. I didn't hear you talking about all this money. I was like, what about the dude they fucking killed? They're doing some <laughs> other shit. But there's a lot more to come. Yep. So, yeah, we'll end there with part one. Uh, we'll get back soon with part two. Uh, and then we get into some some medication Messing around with some medications. Oh, okay. So we get around with some stuff. Uh, so good luck tonight. Thanks. With your show. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't hear from us again next weekend, we'll be back after that because uh, we'll be enjoying. Or I'm just off being so rich. Sure. <laughs> I was like, just you know, like, like, I got it. money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we'll leave you now with our third and final middle-aged and mediocre theater. And now... Cash and Joel investigate the Muppet Massacre. Interior Muppet Theater during the day. Cash and Joel, two detectives, stand in the middle of a chaotic scene. The floor is littered with Muppet parts, blood, and stuffing. What the hell happened here? I don't know, but it's a damn massacre. I've never seen anything like it. We need to find out who did this. But who would kill Muppets? They're innocent creatures. Someone's sick in the head, that's who. We need to find some evidence. Something that can lead us to the killer. Look, there's a piece of cloth over there. It looks like a piece of clothing. Let's bag it and take it to the lab. Maybe we can find some DNA on it. Good call. But we need to move fast. The killer could be long gone by now. Right. But we'll find him. We have to. For the Muppets. I promise you. We will. And when we do... He'll pay for what he's done. Let's get to work. The two detectives set to work, determined to find the killer and bring him to justice. The camera pans out on the Muppet Theater, now silent and eerie, as they continue their investigation. This has been Cash and Joel Investigates the Muppet Massacre.